We're going to be uh, talking through Colossians 3. It's a bit of a serious kind of a talk, so I thought I'd lighten it up a bit by uh, telling a couple jokes here. Um, here's the first joke. <clears throat> a new pastor was visiting the homes of his parishioners, and at one house it seemed obvious that someone was at home, but no answer came to his repeated knocks at the door. Therefore, he took out a business card that had printed Revelation 3.20 on the back of it for just such an occasion and stuck it in the door. When the offering was processed the following Sunday, he found that his card had been returned and added to it was the cryptic message Genesis 3.10. Reaching for his Bible to check out the citation, he broke up in gales of laughter Revelations 3.20 begins, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Genesis 3.10 reads, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid for I was naked. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. <clears throat> I got maybe one more, right? One more. Uh, which one? Hmm. Okay, we're in reno mode, so this one's probably good. The church was badly in need of a coat of paint. So the pastor decided he'd do the job himself, but all he had was one bucket of paint. So he got a bunch of buckets of some water, and he thinned the paint enough to cover the entire church. This is probably actually something I'd do. I like actually <laughs> thinking, you know, because <clears throat> he wanted to cover the entire church. Then he spent all day painting. That night it rained, and this is the outside of the church, I guess. It rained very hard and washed all the paint off. The pastor was quite discouraged and asked God, Why God? Why God? Why did you let it rain and wash off all my hard work? To which God thundered his reply, Repaint! Repaint! And sin no more! <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Funny, funny. All right, that was good. Let's pray. Let's get spiritual now, okay? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we, uh, you are so good. You are so good. We thank you for this day. It's a day that you've made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. God, we thank you for how you are so faithful in our lives. We hear that uh, in our prayer time this morning of how faithful you are. And God, even when we are weak, you are strong. You, you walk with us through the valleys and you are there with us in the mountaintops. Lord, you are there when we go through our struggles, our seasons where it's pouring rain and you are there when the sun is shining and it's beautiful. So Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are with us and that we can trust in your faithfulness. And Father, uh, as we look into your word this morning, we ask for your voice to just shine and speak loudly into our spirits, that uh, we would hear your voice above all other distracting noises, Lord. And uh, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. In Jesus' name, we give this time to you. Amen. Amen. So here we are. We are on the third week of our series going through the book of Colossians. And uh, two weeks ago, we were looking at Colossians chapter 1. And in it, we looked at uh, a very, uh, probably the greatest 
the most eloquently written passage about who Jesus is in the whole of the New Testament is in Colossians 1. And it starts in verse 15, goes to verse 20. And it's the passage that begins, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, whether in heaven or on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And this is a a powerful uh, depiction of what Paul is saying to the Colossian church, saying, you know, it's all about the supremacy of Christ. And the reason why Paul... Uh, mentions this is that in Rome in those days, Rome was a massive, massive empire that stretched from Britain all the way to the outskirts of India. I mean, that is an absolute massive empire of very diverse cultures, very diverse people groups with diverse thinking on spiritual matters. Um, And what made things interesting about Rome is that they had a fantastic infrastructure system of roads All roads lead to Rome. We've heard that statement. And they had an amazing system of roads that united this massive, massive empire together. And it helped the trade and the commerce become very efficient. And so some of those Roman roads are in existence today. Still today, you would find them in Europe, in parts of the UK, Roman roads that exist still today. And uh, what that did, though, for the church was it brought this religious syncretism into the church. Um, all sorts of varying beliefs on who Jesus is and what Christian faith is supposed to be. And so Paul was coming against that teaching, those teachings, um, by, by stating in, in Colossians 1, 15 to 20 that, no, Jesus, listen, he's not just some other person. He's not some uh, angel or something other than. He is God in human form. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the reflection of the invisible God. And so we talked about that on the first Sunday. The second uh, week, we looked at Colossians chapter 2. And we were going through uh, Colossians 2, starting in verse 1, and kind of, I use the analogy of going on a canoe trip. And we started in verse 1. We paddled through verse 1, 2, 3, 4. We kind of, you know, made our way uh, until we finally made it to our destination, which was... uh, verse 13 to 15, where Paul gives a rock-solid message on what the Christian faith is about. And he did this because the church was being persuaded by plausible arguments. Remember that phrase last week? We looked at that, that Paul said, I don't want you to be deluded by plausible arguments. And last week I mentioned that uh, in those days, public speaking was the main tool for imparting information. The Roman Empire, they, they didn't have the internet yet. They didn't have Facebook and Twitter and CNN and, you know, NBC News and that kind of thing. They didn't have that. They didn't have a printing press. So the main way of uh, giving out information was through public speaking. And so there were orators who were masters. And the Romans and the Greeks, they were masters at speaking. Uh, They were philosophers and political analysts, and they would come and they would uh, woo the masses with their knowledge. And this was something that was happening on a great scale, and especially in Colossae, because of the rich diversity uh, within Colossae. Colossae was on a major trade route, so it's like being one of the towns right along the 401. 
okay? And uh, so a lot of people, a lot of diverse groups, a lot of diverse thinking on who Jesus was. And so he was saying, I don't want you to be deluded by plausible arguments about who Jesus is. This is what it means to be a Christian. And Paul continues that in chapter 3, and that's where we're going to be picking it up for this week. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Let's uh, start in verse 1. This is what it says. Paul says this, If then you have been raised with Christ. I like that. He says, if then. Transition statement. He's transitioning things here from the first two chapters to the third chapter. And he's saying, if you have been raised with Christ. So in other words, he's talking to Christians He's talking to those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who have been converted. He's talking to the church. He's saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul is continuing this theme of the supremacy of Christ in our lives. And Paul is reminding the church of who they are in Christ. If you have been raised with Christ, we've been raised with Christ. We've been taken out of sin and we are now raised with Christ, if that's happened, then seek the things that are above. Now, he says this interesting passage. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is an interesting statement. You have died and your life is now hidden with Christ? Now, last week we talked about this. We talked about what it means to be a Christian, what the Christian faith is all about. You see, Christianity is not a religion that is about making people better people. Christianity is not a religion that is is about making a better version of you by saying these are the things that you need to do. This is what you need to do in order to be, this is what you shouldn't do. Christianity is about dead people coming to life. That is what the Christian faith is about, right? It's about dead people coming to life. Paul says this in Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Now, I like how the New Living Translation puts it. And you... You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You see, that is what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who has been born again. Our lives are made totally new. That is what it means to be a Christian. Someone who has been made alive in God. And it's all based on what God did. Not on what we could ever do. It's based on what God did. It's not based on good works or living righteously on our own. But based on what God did by sending Christ Jesus to live a life that is righteous. To die on the cross. To absorb our sin within himself on the cross. 
And then rising again out of the grave, giving us the hope of eternity with him that begins when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, I just want to take a moment to talk about that. What does it mean to put your faith and trust in Jesus? What does that mean? Now, one thing I find interesting at the Alpha Course is how often I hear the same story of those who come out, from those who come out to, the, to attend Alpha. I hear the same story over and over, many times. Many people who come out to Alpha, they say, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church, but I never understood the gospel until now. And some people, they're in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, 50s, 60s plus, And they're saying, I never understood the gospel until now. It's just amazing. I mean, I was one of those. I grew up in the church. I was raised in a church. Now, mind you, I was raised by, it was was odd. My parents were Buddhists who attended church. Okay, so it was a little odd. But uh, I grew up in church. I heard all the stories. I accepted Christ. I prayed to receive Jesus at age eight. And I'm not saying that that doesn't, you know, happen for real. But for me, I prayed to accept Jesus at eight, but had absolutely no desire for God until my 20s. Zero desire for God until my 20s. And yet I hear that similar story often at the Alpha Course. But it was in my late, early 20s where I began to have ears to hear the gospel message And when I look back, I I, I see that there was a progression of coming to an understanding of what the gospel means. There was this progression that took place. And it first came by understanding and acknowledging and agreeing that prior to receiving Christ, I was a sinner. It was a realization that I had. I was a sinner. The things that I did was not right. You see, interestingly, when I look back, Before I came to Christ, before even thinking about coming to Christ, I didn't see myself as a sinner. I was a good person. My good outweighed the bad. I wasn't a sinner. That's how I thought. I didn't feel guilt or shame for my sin. I just thought my good outweighs the bad. So I'm a good person. doesn't matter. I'm no sinner. But the Bible says that a person who says that does not have the truth in them. In other words, they don't understand the gospel. 1 John 1, 8-9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul is talking about, or sorry, in 1 John, this is talking about one who prior to acknowledging Christ as their savior, all sufficient sacrifice for their sin, if they say they have no sin, they're deceiving themselves. So this is talking about those prior to coming to Jesus, right? If a person thinks they don't have sin, they cannot see Jesus for who he is. They cannot see the cross for what it has done for us. Makes sense. If we don't see that we have sin, then Jesus and the cross and the gospel, it doesn't make sense to the person. And surely it didn't make sense to me until there was this realization, a confession of sin, now, the word confess in verse 9 of First John, uh, verse 9 there, in Greek also means to agree with. 
That's what confessing sin is. Agreeing with. There has to be an agreeing with in a person's heart that they are a sinner and needs Jesus as their only solution for their sin. I mentioned last week that it's like being in the ocean. For those of us, for those who are not in Christ, it's like being in an ocean and, and, and doing good deeds and counting them is like coming an inch out of the water and be like, hey, did you see how much I came out of the water today? Or, or, or moving forward a little bit. Look, look how far I came in the water. Oh, I pulled a Michael Phelps, man. I breath stroke and butterfly stroke in the water. Doesn't matter. You're still in the water. So the good deeds, the counting them, it, it's meaningless. Because when someone is not in Christ, they are in sin. That's what Paul talks about when he says, dead in your trespasses, it's like we're in the ocean. And, and, and doing good deeds is like just coming a little bit out of the water. You're still in the water. Dead in your trespasses. So the first step to understanding the gospel is confessing and agreeing that one is in sin. Then the progression of the good news comes like this. After the confession, after the understanding for the need for a savior, for the forgiveness of sins, God makes you alive together with him in Christ. And there is this sense of being alive in a totally different way, a totally new way than you've ever previously experienced. It's new life. And the sense of being alive in a new way happens when we understand that God personally dealt with our sin. God personally took away my sin. He did it. Wow. And within that understanding comes an encounter with the love of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. God's extravagant love for us. The love of the father who has opened his arms towards the prodigal. The love of the shepherd who pursues after the one lost sheep. We encounter that love. We experience that love. We are firmly rooted in that love. And that makes us new and makes us alive. That love encounter with God turns something on inside us. Something turns on. And what happens is now our affection and our attention is fixed towards the God of heaven and earth. That's what happens. How marvelous. How wonderful. And my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. That is what it means to be a Christian, to encounter the great love of God for us that made us alive, made new in Christ. And so if that has been the case for the Christian in Colossae, and if that's been the case for you, then Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. In other words, let your attention and your affection remain on Christ. Keep your focus towards Jesus, not the earthly things that distract you and take you away from what truly saves you and satisfies you. Don't be distracted. The earthly things, they're distractions. They don't really satisfy you. They don't save you. Keep your focus 
on Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. And then what we see in chapter 3, Paul transitions the letter from the first half to the second half. In the first half, he is explaining Christ, his supremacy, Christ's centrality, that Christ is all we need, that Christ is to be first in our lives. He is preeminent to be made first, right? So he's talking about the supremacy of Christ in the first half, what it means to be a Christian in the first half, in light of Christ's supremacy, And then in the second half of the book, he talks about how to make that applicable to our lives. How does that, how does the gospel apply in our daily living? And this is what he says, beginning in verse five of chapter three, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, first, when reading this, you might think, wait a minute, this looks like a list of morals. I mean, didn't Paul just say that in chapter 2, that the, the opposite thing, that it's not about a list of morals? Do not taste, do not touch. What's going on here? Right? Well, we need to take a look at this a little bit closely. And to begin, uh, first of all, we've we, we got to look at this list and, and actually see that there's two lists in this passage. There's two. In the first list, Paul mentions sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Covetousness is in that list. Isn't that interesting? In another word is greed, okay? He calls this idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of something other than God. The second list, he writes, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk and lying. These are sins that are committed against one another. People against people. And so the first set of sins are sins that cater to the fulfillment of our carnal, selfish, fleshly desires. They're, they're sins that where, where we dethrone God and we enthrone ourselves. And the desires that come to fulfill us on the throne. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, covetousness, evil desire, these things. When we act in those ways, we are dethroning God and enthroning ourselves. The second set of sins promotes hate and dehumanizing others. So the first set dethrones God. The second set dehumanizes others through hate that promotes hate. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. It promotes hate for one another. And so what we are seeing here in Paul's teaching in Colossians is the opposite of what Jesus taught in Matthew 22. When he was asked the question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22, 36 to 38 says this, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus, he said to him, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so these lists of sins that we see in Colossians 3 is the is the opposite of the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment that Jesus gave. The first list, idolatry, it's the opposite of loving God. When we chase those things, we are dethroning God. We are taking our minds off Christ and setting them on ourselves by chasing our own desires. And he's saying, put that to death. When we act out of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk and lying, that is the opposite of loving our neighbor. The second greatest commandment. 1 John 4, 21 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Wow. And so Paul is admonishing the church in Colossae. You've been raised with Christ. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You have encountered God's great love for you. Something happens when that happens. Something turns on. Our affection and our attention is turned towards the God of heaven. We are in God's love. And Paul says, live out of that encounter with God's love by Reflecting it out. We need to literally put on love. Now in the ancient world, this idea of putting on, taking off, and putting on clothing to depict spiritual principles was common. Okay? In the Old Testament, it says things like, clothe yourself with righteousness. Being clothed with strength. So this idea is a very ancient idea, a uh, very biblical idea. And so Paul says in Colossians 3, this is what he says in the passage we read, verse 9 and 10, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so the old self is one's identity as sinner. That's the old self. The new self is one's identity as united with Christ. God plucks us out of the water and puts us united with Christ. We have a new identity. This change of identity happens already once a person becomes a believer. But what we need to do is actualize it in our living. Our actions need to catch up to our new identity by putting off the old and putting on the new. And the way we do this is love. We are being renewed after the image of our creator. The Bible says God is love. Put on love. Paul then gives this list of virtues of Christ in verse 12, chapter 3. Put on then. Again, this whole idea of putting on, being clothed. Put on. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love. That is the mark of a Christian. The Beatles had one thing right, almost, but, you know, all you need is love. All you need is love, love, love is all you need, right? The source of love is God. God is love. We need to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so if you were a Christian, if one was a Christian in Colossae in 60 AD, the mark of their faith in Christ was love. Someone who has confessed their sin, who has experienced forgiveness in Christ, has been made new, alive together with Christ, has encountered the great love of God, now lives out of that love for God. That is what it means to be a Christian. That was the same in Colossae in 60 AD. It's the same 2,000 years later today. That is what it means to be a Christian. Put on love. Love is all we need. Amen? Amen. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son to come down on earth to live a holy and righteous life on our behalf, to die on the cross for our sin, to absorb our sin within yourself, to nail it to the cross. And when we put our faith and trust in you, Lord, you do something inside of us. You make us new. We are born again. We are new. And out of the newness of life, Lord, we encounter your great love for us. And Lord, you call us to extend that love to those around us. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That, it, what, that is what it means to be a community of Christ. And that is how we show the world that you are real and that you are love. Love is your idea. Love is your identity. It's who you are. God, may we be renewed after the image of our creator in the image of love. Help us to love well, love you well, love one another well. And in so, in doing so, follow the way of Christ. So God, we thank you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Have a good week.